Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What's up, guys? Back again with another episode of your favorite jujitsu podcast, A Fistful of Collars. Once again, as always, Howell Teague, Reed Connell, and Will Safford here to break down best in jiu-jitsu, a little chat about what's going on in the world, and just generally mat chat, right? Another One of my favorite week. things about jiu-jitsu, I don't know about you, uh, the old training and stuff, but like the mat chat thing, that's kind of one of the best, uh, best parts of it, right? Oh, absolutely. I love, that's the best part, right? Is I'm, I'm a big no-talker, to be honest. I'm a big no-no-talker during jiu-jitsu, during drilling, during, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, I don't like Shut to your mouth and train, Exactly. Right? Yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't <laughs> talk. We save it for afterwards. <laughs> save it for the podcast, okay? <laughs> we don't talk now. <laughs> you know, one of the, the number one things I hear from people who comment to me about this podcast is that they're like, man, you guys just talk like, like regular guys talking about jiu-jitsu. It's just a couple of dudes hanging around talking about jujitsu just like they do. So. It's funny that because we are just a bunch doing. of regular guys <laughs> talking about jujitsu. Yeah. Just we have uh, we have the benefit of getting out there a little bit more and getting interact with the bigger names and going to the cooler places and stuff. So yeah, but at the end of the day, we just love jujitsu, man. Right. That's it. You can dress it up as you want, but we're all huge jujitsu fans, and hopefully you guys are too. That's why you're watching this, right? Yeah. But um. We got some stuff to break down this week. We got a couple of different things to have a chat about. And the number one is, uh, Will, you, uh, you set our Instagram to f- on fire so on today, fire today, right? <laughs> Dropped the bomb right there, asking right. a question. What was it? What was the post you just put up? So I put up a post of uh, six guys, six jujitsu guys who um, have all influenced jujitsu in their own way. But I asked, who has had the biggest impact on modern jujitsu? Okay, that's, that's an interesting question in and of itself, but you, uh, you put some conditions on that because it's multiple choice, right? That's right. Okay. Ask the question again. What was the question again? Who has had the biggest impact on modern jujitsu? Hmm. So by modern, I mean what's happening right now? You know, what, what we're experiencing, the techniques that we're seeing, maybe even the rules or the trends that we're seeing in jujitsu, that type of thing. Okay. I already have some names floating around in my head, but you, uh, you made a list, right? So what are the options? So here we go. A, the Mendes brothers. B, Keenan Cornelius. C, John Danaher. Mm-hmm. D, Marcelo Garcia. E, Ted Aday. Mm-hmm. Fernando Ted And then F, Eddie Bravo. Ah, so an interesting mix of both new over. and old school right there, huh? That's right. Okay. And... Do we, could we, do we want to define modern jiu-jitsu yeah, a, little, a little bit further? Do we want to talk more about like, you said the trends in, in jiu-jitsu? We want to talk about what the, the trends in, in jiu-jitsu are right now? I mean, I, I think Keenan Cornelius is an interesting um, addition to, to, the, um, to the list there because um, he have, I think his game is, for me, like ultra-modern. Mm. Um, he's a technical innovator, yeah, right? Yeah, you know, he's, he's the guy who kind of really put that lapel game on the map, right? So what do you think? What's the, what, what, do you, what were you thinking, the, the trends of the modern jiu-jitsu? I mean, a lot of the things that we're seeing now, yes. So the, the lapel guards, the worm guards, but also maybe barambolos, 
De La Hiva, I think De La Hiva, although it's an older technique, it's still, you know, it's one of the most common techniques that we see Absolutely. In, in competition, right? Everybody doing it. Yeah. X-Guard, I would say, is more modern jiu-jitsu. And then... Um, I don't, sorry, just to cut, I don't remember seeing anybody do X-Guard before Marcelo. Mm. I'm sure it existed, but yeah. he's the guy, again, who put that on the map. And maybe it's not quite as hot as it was a few years ago, and people are looking to things like De La Hiva instead. But still, I mean because of him that it exists, right. right? exactly. And these guys may not have invented, like, I don't think the Mendes brothers invented the Barambola. No, they don't even right? claim that, no. No, but they popularized it yeah. through using it in competition and then seeing, showing how effective it was. Exactly. They're right? the ones who, a lot of those guys, they're the ones who let people know, like Marcelo with X-Guard and things like that. They're the ones who let people know that this stuff can work at the highest level. Maybe, exactly. Maybe not everybody knew that. Then all of a sudden, everybody started playing X-Guard. You're like, oh, man. If Marcelo can beat all these guys with X guard, I gotta start playing that. That mm. game, you know, and then they, then they start playing that, and then that comes into more jujitsu and things. And one of the most modern kind of uh, trends you could possibly say exists in jujitsu right now is the leg locks, right? That's, right. That's uh, so hot right now. You know, everybody's talking about that leg lock game, the Dan Hadesh squad killing it over the last, like, let's say, two years or so with those amazing leg attacks. So Dana has name on there as well. I mean, a guy who's been around forever. But now, with his group of students breaking through and, and literally changing the face of no-gi jiu-jitsu, because I don't remember seeing anywhere near as many leg attacks in jiu-jitsu as we do nowadays. And yeah. a, a large reason of that is because of him, right? Danaher. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, him and his guys. Yeah. yeah. We're seeing entire games, you know, and, and the, the rise of submission-only jiu-jitsu has had a lot to do with this, right? But we're seeing entire games being based around just leg attacks. Mm. Unfortunately, there are some one-trick ponies out there who only attack the legs, right? That's all they do. They don't try to pass the guard. They just sit and then get on a foot. But You know what I would say to effective. that, Will? Why would they only attack 50% of the body? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Someone once said that. Someone lies. So and then I, Eddie Bravo as well. He's had, uh, he had a, he had a like huge that. influence when he came out, right? Maybe not quite the... You, don't, you still see it, but you're not seeing rubber guard and lockdown and stuff as like a massive kind of trend right now. But if anything, I'd say you saw more of it in MMA than in jiu-jitsu, right? I, I still don't think you see a whole lot of rubber guard and stuff in MMA either. Maybe that's just, maybe his system, he doesn't have a lot of guys transitioning into MMA. I know he has, he has some, like guys like Ben Saunders, I've seen play a lot of that rubber guard and mm -hmm. stuff like that. But I like that we included Eddie Bravo, because maybe, even if not, we don't see his technique on like a broad scale from in, in jiu-jitsu. Obviously, he's got his 10th Planet guys, and, and they all do Eddie's system really well and things like that, and they, and they beat a lot of the other jiu-jitsu guys. But I like including Eddie Bravo just because I think he's um, just a, a general ambassador for the, for the sport, and so I think he, he um, sheds a lot of light on jiu-jitsu and, and in turn that way influences totally. jiu-jitsu, I think. He, he, was, he was popularizing no-gi as like a movement right. kind of when no-gi was still really on the fringes of the sport, right. right? I mean, as an innovator as well, of course, creating an, an opportunity, a tournament based around the no-gi with his rules, that's, right. that's a huge influence as well. Like how many tournaments out there now have copied the EVI rules and are using those? So that's huge. Exactly, so, exactly. Yeah. That's a good point. So do we want to dive in? Yeah, what's the general response been online? Like how have people reacted to that question? You know what? A lot of the guys have answered Mendes Brothers. That's, uh, a, that's a, to be expected, but yeah. at the same time, like... Given that lineup, that's that's pretty impressive at the same time, right? Because, you know, against guys like Keenan, against guys like Danaher, wow. 
That's I, cool. I think when you when you first asked the question, that that Mendez was was the first one that popped into my mind. If I'm being honest, I would agree. Um, when you said who who influenced most modern jujitsu, I, I I immediately thought of of Mendez brother Hoffa and Guy Mendez just because I think that their their game has just for the longest time just screamed modern jujitsu. But I think I'm gonna change my answer. I'm not gonna say <laughs> uh, Mendez brothers. Just hearing us talking about Danaher a little bit there, I th I I'm trying to think of who had the biggest influence. On jiu-jitsu right now, I really I do think it's it's Danher. I, do you? I, I feel like that um, he's just inspired a whole new wave of jiu-jitsu, a new mm. type of person, a new type of of uh, of you know I don't know community or something like that 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 has come to jiu-jitsu, and I think a lot of it is definitely because of, he, of Danher. He's like he's changed like the direction, the course of jiu-jitsu, mm, where it was it. it was going on this certain path, right, and now. There's this whole other community out there who, you know, is just really invested in the no-gi. And, and you can see what he's doing with his athletes. You yeah. know, he's creating champions, guys who are super young and they're at the, the pinnacle of the sport. I would, I would add to that as well because um, you said about the sport going down a certain path. And um, the points fighting is, is, a, is a big part of jiu-jitsu, right? You know, you fight in tournaments with points. But he actively you know kind of directed his guys to seek out as many opportunities to compete as possible and a big part of that was submission only and i would say that that both john and eddie have had a huge part in popularizing mm -hmm. the submission only movement right and it is a movement now it's like a way of life for some grapplers and um and you know john training his guys not to fight for points but to fight for the submission right. i think that's a hugely influential part as well you don't see so many guys doing it now i mean you know, you saw his guys doing it in competition, actively ignoring points to look for a submission finish. Yeah. And I would say that you see that as well. I mean, you, we, we joked about it. Oh, guys, you know, electing not to pass the guard, not to do whatever. But, hey, if you can drop back in the leg and you, if you can submit the guy, then why bother? Break so somebody's foot. Yeah. Right. It's, uh, it's, it, it, that's a, a, a big kind of shift in the direction of jiu-jitsu. You've got to give that. And add one more thing to Danaher as well. His outreach with the community via his social media posts just took off, right? Yeah. yeah. He was like this enigmatic guy, lived in the shadows, was like this semi-mythical guy. He was like, wow, John's an amazing coach. But nobody really knew too much about him because he was just sat in his basement forging these amazing guys, didn't put himself out there. You know who actually told him to go on social media? The guy who actually sat him down and was like, John, you've got to create a Facebook account. You've got to get on Instagram. Henzo? No, it's GSP. <laughs> really? For real. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And like Jesby was like, John, man, you got so much to offer the world. Like, go on social media and put it out there. And like, did he's guys, done that. Did you guys see that picture the other day that he posted? It was like him, Henzo, Gary, Gordon, and GSP in the same picture. It's a hell of a and room. it was just like, wow, yeah. man. This, this group of old generation, MMA, gee guys, no gee guys, they're just doing awesome things. That's a training session I'd love to see. <laughs> yeah. I, just, I feel like if, if I go to like a, a birthday party or if I go somewhere you know, with a lot of people and I'm wearing a jiu-jitsu shirt or something like that, I feel like, the, and you gave me a list of those six names, or who would I be most likely to talk about probably in like a, just a, a group of, of a lot of people, I would have to say I think John Danaher would be the guy I'd probably be talking about. So. Yeah, yeah, his reach has just expanded yeah. so, so much, right? But, you know, the influence is so, it's such a broad kind of uh, you know, descriptor of, of what these guys do, right? Because 
you know, um, Mendes Brothers, technically, yes, massively influential, you know, like establishing the Berenbolo as like a go-to position for a whole generation of competitors, but massively influential as well um, in branding and marketing. True. Right? That's completely I mean, true. like, even Guy Mendes said it when we were at the gym one day, right? We, we went there to do some filming, and he's like, man, it's like, you know, they're actually proud about the fact that after they opened AOJ, now, like, everybody has white gyms in jiu-jitsu, They've you know? changed the aesthetic, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it used to be kind of grimy, kind of grungy, and now it's, like, all clean <laughs> stuff. Aesthetic <laughs> is really modern. That's, that's a huge influence. And um, also, I would, I would kind of add to that, though, their work in developing athletes at a very, very young age and molding them into professional competitors, just like they did, right? right? They went on a certain kind of developmental path from, like, their teenage years, and they're getting these prospects and doing the same thing. Um, but offering jujitsu as a as a legit profession, as opposed to just like a lifestyle or a side gig, or you know, you don't have to go to college and become a lawyer, and you know, as a full back plan, you can go all in yeah. on jujitsu. That's a that's hugely influential. For well. a time, I feel like jujitsu was kind of blended into the MMA aesthetic, right? Where it's not, you know, MMA is MMA, jujitsu as a community, jujitsu is jujitsu. Yeah. Right. And I think the Mendez brothers did a great job of, of building that aesthetic and separating it. And now you're seeing a very clean, as you're saying, professional look. And uh, they're building young men into jujitsu ambassadors. And now women. And women. Yeah. And women, no, they, they're creating a whole wave of competitors that in a couple of years, those guys are just going to, they're going to run shit, you know? <laughs> and then, I mean, talking about in a couple of years, who knows, Keenan Cornelius, you know, we could be talking about Keenan in a couple of years as, as the guy who opened, opened, you know, a whole mess of new doors and things like that. So maybe not at this moment, but I could see Keenan in a couple of years being, being the guy we're talking about too. What kind of contributions do you think he's had then? Because, you know, the, 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 just the lapel guard is, is kind of a little bit limiting, right? He's obviously had much more of a, an influence than that. What else would you say Keenan's been responsible for? I think the main thing that Keenan's been responsible for is just, um, you know, I, I think a lot of people like criticize different people for saying, oh, that, that was, that's not new, that was old, you know, that type of thing. But what Keenan does so well I think is that he never limits him, himself, and he never, and that's what he's done so well is allowed other jiu-jitsu practitioners to like open up their mind a little bit more. I think, and he's he's so innovative, right? And then the things that he does. So I think he's he's inv invited so much experimentation um, throughout the community. And I think he's he's really opened up that door that I think maybe a lot of other people weren't opening. I think he's brought a cerebral element to jiu-jitsu where. We talk about the old school versus the new school, right? The old school was very gritty, go out there and win by grit and heart and muscle and endurance, right? Where Keenan has broken down the game into its elements and really taken like a mental approach to how can I win without, with, with technique, mm -hmm. you know? He's, he's put on a lot of muscle lately. He's, he's been in the gym, but formerly he was, you know, he was not clearly as, as athletic or as strong as some of his opponents, but submitting them, yeah. you know? So... I think he's he's brought that plus the rise in American jiu-jitsu. I think he was one of the first people who's really like competitive American guy who who inspired a lot of people. Yeah, he's a poster to, boy, yeah, right? Poster Absolutely, boy. came through as that brown belt, winning the uh, the Grand Slam, double Grand Slam, I think it was, right? As a brown belt, um, he was like the poster boy for American jiu-jitsu. It's just, uh, yeah, it's a different animal at black belt, I guess. You know, he's he's one of many really world class black belts at the. That kind of the you know representing the U.S. But absolutely, when you know you think of top American grapplers, he's right there at the 
you know, at the list, even if he doesn't have the, the World Championship medal to prove it. You know what I mean? It's like, so are you going with the Mendes brother? Ah, that's a really tough one. I mean, we've totally glossed over Terror, eh? Terror is we've, my choice. We've only had a, a so you know... Dibs. A, a <laughs> <laughs> Don't pick him out. And we, we, only, we only touched on Marcelo. I mean, Marcelo, for me, two, two reasons that he was massively influential was, number one, was for a while, everybody seemed to be playing Marcelo's game. And uh, everybody, regardless of whether they were with his team or not. And I think a huge reason for that is because he was the first guy, let's not forget, he was the first guy to create a training website where you could mm. go online, subscribe every month, and you could learn his techniques as if you were sat there in his class, daily class. And that didn't exist. He was the first guy to do that yeah. in jiu-jitsu. And there were like grapplers all around the world who maybe didn't have access to world-class you know, instruction. They didn't have access to anybody. Some of these guys, I use Darryl Connell as a, as a perfect example from Ireland. The guy was on his own since he was a blue belt, you know, given the keys to a gym and had to run a team by himself and self-taught himself, you know, but obviously had ac you know, access to guys periodically. But a large part of his development was via MG in action. And he basically created oh. a game that was in many ways identical to Marcelo's. Why? Because it freaking works. Right. And Marcelo proved that at the highest level. And I think that's dropped off a little bit in recent years because Marcelo became less active on the competition scene. And maybe he gets a little bit forgetting about when thrown her in the, sort of the ring, you know, and all these amazing names. But you can't take that away from him. His technical um, influence was huge, not just because he was an amazing guy himself and people wanted to emulate that, but because he was the first to make it accessible as well. So. When you think about like uh, X guard and single leg X, right? That's what I that's what I automatically think when I think Marcelo Garcia, right? And it's also known as Ashigurami, right? <laughs> so now yeah. it's playing into like so the first time John Danaher is talking about Ashigurami, I'm like, man, what is this move? And then he's I figured out it's also single, single leg, leg X. X. I'm like, yeah. oh, I know that from Marcelo. Yeah, yeah. So and we see single leg X all the time at the highest that's level. That's a popular one too. Yeah, actually, that's one of the things that we identified recently as kind of like a trending position, right? We, we, every, every year after the, like all the major tournaments, and actually, you know, during the season as well, after every major tournament, we kind of sit down and we chat and we're kind of like, man, I saw a lot of this this time, saw a lot of that, you know? And every tournament, something kind of catches our eye. And I think the last couple of tournaments, we mentioned that single leg X seems to be a very, very common position we've seen people ending up in. So, yeah. All six of those names, though, really, really good names, and all six of them, I think, are, are responsible with, with bringing a, a wave of, of people, a wave of, mm -hmm. of, of a part, part of the community to jiu-jitsu, a different, different part of the community, right? So, but and different eras as well. Yeah, yeah. Because Terraray was one of the first, right, right, on that list. He was one of the And I'm sure a lot of those guys were inspired by Terraray, too. Well, so. Why do you pick Terraray? Because you, you, you haven't... We haven't yeah. explored that yet, but why is he your pick? Because I think he has influenced most of those guys. Yeah. Uh -huh. his, his game, he was, he, I don't know if he invented it, but if you watch some of his older uh, videos, you can see him doing the leg drag, right? And that's what the Mendes brothers, like the leg drag, the Baron Bola de la Hiva, that was their thing. Um, so I think the Mendes brothers, you know, they're through Hamon Lemos, and Hamon Lemos, uh, I think, was influenced a lot by Tedede. Andre Galvao, you know, was a student of Tedede. The long step, which we see all the time, that was Tedede. Toriando passing, you know. Um, so he was just super influenced for this very active passing game that we're seeing still a ton of guys use today. Yeah, you look at Terraray's old matches from like the early 2000s, because, you know, he, he started very early. He got his black belt when he was like, I, I think maybe like 2021, mm. something like that, you know. Um, 
and he's like 38 now, you know, so his, his kind of low in his, in his early 20s was when he was in his prime. That was a long time ago now. It was early 2000s. The jiu-jitsu scene has changed so much since then. Sure. And in general, jiu-jitsu back then was very, very different to as it is now, right? You look at those old tapes. It, for me, it's like watching bare-knuckle boxers compared to Floyd Mayweather. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the difference is just, like, they don't look the same sports, let alone, like, the tra- strategies and tactics. Whereas, you watch Terra from back then, and you can see the movements, him, like, you, you recognize it now. You see people doing that stuff. Long step, back step, Torian, leg drag, like you said. It's all there. And, um, you know, the Mendez brothers, they, they readily sort of admit, they will not admit, but they, they on, openly kind of talk about the fact that Terra for them was a huge influence, that even though they guy. didn't directly train with him, mm-hmm. right? They what loved, did they do? They, they, loved, they, they watched loved, video? Yeah, they said they loved watching videos of him. That they would always be watching VHSs and stuff like that, right, of him. So as they were coming up, that was like obviously a huge well, Yeah, when they were kids, could, when they were blue belts yeah, and stuff. They, they, could they see were, it on their game. Yeah. But man, Terra probably, I mean, if I had, you guys could tell me I'm wrong, but probably um, the, the most... Um, not well known of those six, right? He's probably, if I had to guess who, who our Instagram followers knew the least, right. it would probably yeah. be Tara Ray. Absolutely, um, yeah. Because he dropped off the scene in a big way, you know. He had, like, he had psychological problems. He had a, a subsequent drug addiction. It took him a many, many years in and out of rehab and treatment before he finally got diagnosed. And, you know, he's kind of back. He has his own gym now. He's slowly building up some guys um, you know, he's, he's just living his jiu-jitsu life, you know, as a, as a coach, traveling the world, doing seminars. Very, very occasionally might take a match here or yeah. there, but every couple of years. But, uh, you know, focusing on his health first. Um, and it's a shame because for me, he could have been one of the all-time greatest. Mm-hmm. Like that guy was just an example of, of a complete jiu-jitsu fighter. You know, a guy could do it all. And I would have loved to have seen him you know, just go on and, and become like a, a legend in the history books, not just have that flash and then disappear off the scene after a few years. It was yeah. a huge shame. Yeah, like I said, the, the way the Mendez brothers talk about him, and, and it really, I mean, somebody, a, a lot of these old school guys, are they all they all reference Terry Ray as a, as a massive inspiration in their game and in, in, in getting into jiu-jitsu. Um, but but probably the, the, the least well known there. I'd be surprised. I wonder how many how many people voted for for him yeah. on there. Yeah, right. But Guys, uh, we want to know. Get over to uh, Instagram. Check out the post. And uh, if you want to comment who and then also why you chose them, that would be cool. We want to hear why you think that person that you chose is the most influential. Absolutely. So um, moving on. Uh, Will, you just got back. You uh, you missed you missed the podcast. You were out on the road. Where were you, man? It was tough, man. I was, uh, I was, in, I was in Ibiza. Ooh, I was in Ibiza, <laughs> struggling, struggling. I, I, man. I, I, they actually life. call it Ibiza. 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 Yes, yeah. that's, that's, the, that's the proper way to say it's it. The that's European they, way. Of that's how they call it. That's yeah, that's, they say it. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. And, and Barcelona, and that's how that's how they pronounce things over there. So. I can't get behind that one. I just really. I just call it Ibiza. You know. They, they really call it do Barce- they, Barcelona. Yeah. Really? They really do. Yeah. Yeah. Like chorizo sausage is chorizo and all that. I know, it's yeah. weird, right? <laughs> okay, yeah. That's like true Spanish. Gotcha, okay. Catalan. Catalan. Right. Anyway, what are you doing there? Abisa. Right, so I was with, um, uh, I was at uh, private BJJ camps, which is run by Augusto Frota, who is a black belt. He's out of Zurich. Um, he did some time. He, he trained MMA. He's under Rodrigo or uh, Noguera. Rodrigo yes. Noguera. Minotauro. Minotauro, right. And... Um, 
He's got a really interesting concept because we've got these camps. We see a lot of these camps rising. The Gracies have a camp, and Chase, our comrade, is over in uh, another camp this week. But his camp, private BJJ camps, is really supposed to is meant to be exclusive, mm-hmm. right? So it is pricey, um, but they do do choose the the best locations around the world, and they bring in some of the the top level guys. So, like who? For example, this one was Bouchesha, mm-hmm. Adolfo heard Vieira, of mm-hmm. heard of him, and Felipe Pena. Hmm, not a bad lineup. <laughs> Leandro Lowe was scheduled to come, but he hurt his shoulder of at course, Worlds, so yeah. he's, he's uh, on the mend. So this exclusive jiu-jitsu camp was, um, what, like one of those kind of residential things where you get multiple days training and teaching and learning from, learning from these guys? Exactly. So right. you would think like a, a, a traditional camp is almost like four or five days a week of seminars, Mm -hmm. right, where you're going and someone's teaching you their game. This was a very small group, you know, almost 10 10 guys or less, and it's really, the reason why it's called private BJJ camp is because it's like private lessons. Wow. So you go there with your questions and you ask the guys, hey, how can you help me out of this situation? I'm running into this a lot, and it's just completely hands-on. They come over to you and they're teaching you. What's really cool is that so, for example, Bouchesha will say, you know, I'm, I'm having a trouble with the knee shield. And then Bouchesha will show you his favorite technique of the knee shield, how to handle it, whatever. You'll go drill it, and then Felipe Pena will show you his favorite technique for the knee shield. So you're learning multiple ways to handle the same situation from the best guys on the planet. Literally, yeah, yeah. the best guys. Wow, that is incredible. What an amazing access you have right there. And Ibiza, well known as like a hedonistic Party islands right there in the Mediterranean. Yeah, let's get to it. Let's yeah. get to it. <laughs> I imagine the lifestyle element right must be pretty there cool. Was, it, was, it was a good time. We had a great time. Um, but I will have you know that Ibiza is huge. I didn't know this. Ibiza, there's a mountain range on the island of Ibiza. Yeah. And there's just a very small portion of the island is where the partying goes down. There's actually a lot of culture. There's a lot of history. We didn't see any of that, though. <laughs> We didn't, we didn't go to any museums or anything, but... Uh, soaked it up, huh? We soaked yeah. it up. The island, we, we got into the, the culture big time there. Yes. It sounds fun. It sounds a lot of fun. And like you said, Chase is right now, he's in uh, Amsterdam for the Royal Jiu-Jitsu camp, which is uh, slightly different, more of the traditional vibe. It's a, uh, a week-long camp in a gym in Amsterdam, and there's a... Man, the list of uh, instructors for that camp is incredible. You've got Adam Wodzinski, uh, Nicholas Marigali, Lucas Leitch, um Jackson Souza. There you go, man. Just throwing out your Tarek Hopstock. Tons of, tons of guys all in. And it's kind of that traditional thing of training in the morning, training in the evening, more like class-based, right. lots of training, lots of rolling. Like you say, pretty much a seminar twice a day. So that's also pretty cool. Chase is putting up um, vlogs and techniques and videos behind the scenes and while he's there right now. Um, make sure we go on flowgrappling.com and check those out. Uh, right, right now, we're kind of working on the videos from the Ibiza trip, and we'll be putting those up soon, and you'll be able to see guys like Bouchesh and Flippy Penna teaching all that amazing stuff. So sounds pretty if cool. If you guys are interested, bjj-mma-camps.com. Totally worth it. It is, it is pricey, but, I mean, you're, you're not only getting all this hands-on information from the best guys in the world, you're getting a, a once-in-a-lifetime experience. So you're, you're hanging out with the guys. They're, they're no egos. They're showing you everything. They don't hold anything back. You're hanging out with them, having a great time. So definitely, definitely worth it. Sounds fun. Now, you've been on camps before, right? Yeah. Yeah, where else did you go? 
I did the Gracie Adventure in uh, 2011 as a white belt. Oh, well, very cool. Yeah. I did the Gracie Camp too. Where did you go? We were in Costa Rica. Oh, I went to the yeah. one in Cancun in 2016, I guess. And so. it was so fun. Yeah. It, w it was amazing, especially as a white belt because, you know, I was hanging out with the Gracies. You know, Hodger Gracie was there, and he was just the biggest star, you know, in my mind. And um, you're just, it's all new to you. You're learning everything is, is brand new. Uh, but that was one more of the, the, like, more of a traditional type camp where we did twice a day. It was more seminar style. Lots of excursions and stuff planned as well, right? right? So that, that's what was really cool about it. We did whitewater rafting and surfing and, you know, rented uh, ATVs and stuff oh, nice. like that. But, yeah, I, th I think if you're going to go on vacation, why not go on a vacation where you're doing what you absolutely love? Right. You could just sit on a beach or you could do jiu-jitsu in the morning and then go sit on the beach. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> you know? Why not? And you see that all the time. I always go online and you'll have people uh, asking for recommendations. They're like, oh, I'm traveling here. Is there any jujitsu clubs local? You know, everybody's like, man, I want to train while I'm away for a week, right? Yeah. yeah, we always pack one. So, uh, you know, like you say, if you're planning a, a vacation, go right. somewhere cool and do jujitsu. And yeah. you see there are so many of them, too, right after Worlds, right after the, or this summertime, it's, it seems like when everybody pops off. And time and time again, you know, you see how cool the, the jujitsu community is. Mm. You're meeting, you know, I still talk to guys from the 2011 camp. You know, they're buddies for life now. That's you know? nice. And even some guys at, uh, at this Froda BJJ camp, private BJJ camp, didn't speak English. But... Like we've said before, jiu-jitsu is the international or the, yeah, the international language, right? Universal. Universal yeah. language. Yeah. Everyone, you know, if you know jiu-jitsu, you can, you can uh, kind of vibe with someone right you off the bat. Yeah. That's cool. Did you ever go to any, uh, you're a former wrestler, right? Did you ever go to any of those wrestling camps? Um, I guess I did go to one wrestling camp in Connecticut when I was, um, yeah, in, in high school. Because they're a big but, thing too, right? They're like the residential wrestling camps? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I never went to like a really big one, but I know that, that a lot of them, like I know like the everybody always talks about like the J-Rob camps in, in Minnesota and stuff there in the Midwest that, that he does and, and stuff. But I never went to like a really big big camp or anything like that. But yeah, wrestling, the wrestling camps are, are a thing too, for sure. And yeah. how do they stack up? I mean, I can imagine that, because wrestling's got a reputation as being a little bit uh, harder, more of a grind than jiu-jitsu. So what, what was the camp kind of like compared to what we see in these jiu-jitsu camps? Yeah, definitely. I mean, like the, these camps too are, are, you're younger, right? So you're like, a lot of these kids are like 14 years old <laughs> and 15 years old and they're monster wrestlers and stuff so that is like you're like working out for like eight hours straight you know Damn. it's like you get there at 8 a.m and then and you basically just work out the entire day and you're, you're and it's the same thing you know they bring in good, good coaches and they learn you like can learn a single leg from john smith and stuff like that but uh, or at least at the bigger ones um, but i know that they're definitely pretty intense and like um, I know our guys have, have talked that, you know, once they, they go to some of these camps, they come out a completely different wrestler and, and a tenfold better wrestler, too, cause just because the camps can be so intense. That's awesome. It is. It's a, they, they are an intensive learning opportunity. And I guess, you know, if you're able to... Um, it's a little more relaxed, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah, but. yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> but, you know, if you have access to all those different kind of like uh, technical, you know, uh, influences, you know, the opportunities you wouldn't otherwise get... And sometimes as well, it's the opportunity to meet and learn and, and train with other people from different places. I remember when I went on um, the Gracie camp in 2016 um, in Mexico, and I ended up training a lot with Amal Easton and one of his black belts, mm -hmm. Malor, from Colorado. 
And even though there was like the class going on and, you know, you'd had Hodger teaching his uh, clothes guard and, you know, all the other guys like Gregor, Igor, Hollis teaching really cool stuff. Chiron Gracie was there as well. watched that video on, on Flow Grappling. Yeah, the, the Hodger Gracie is a must. You check out his clothes guard video. But um, one of the best things as well was kind of like that mat chat, right? It's like yeah. just after the session, we're all hanging out. And, um, you know, like Amal's showing his pressure passing stuff. And, you know, Velo and I were talking about some leg locks. And it was just like really cool to kind of pick up those little bits here and there. Mm. So uh, that's where you get the, a lot of the kind of behind the scenes stuff. You know, you can, can chat a little mm -hmm. about, uh, about, you know, who, who knows what. And you can be like, <laughs> hey, that technique you, you just showed. What's, what's the real deal on the technique? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah right? <laughs> how, how do you get out of it? Or uh, yeah. what's, the, what's the real trick? Or so, you know, something like that. That was the first time I'd ever seen anybody teaching a hip clamp as well. That kind of mm. half guard with a knee yeah. shield. I'd never, I'd seen it in action. And I was just looking at it like, I can't figure that out from life for me. It was like voodoo. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I actually saw somebody kind of breaking it down. And I was like, well, still looks really tough. But at least I kind of have an idea of what it is now. So. Right. You're, you're always going to come away with something from the camp that you something can new, yeah, yeah. immediately apply to your game and probably remember for the rest of your time. Hopefully, hopefully. <laughs> um, guys, I want to do a little, uh, a little new segment for Ooh, the podcast. We're introducing segment. new features every time. And uh, one thing I'd like to do is around the table. Ooh. Okay, And I'm just going to throw a particular topic out there. And I want to know your favorite, the one that you look up to the most, your pinnacle of uh, your best example of bam, 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 guard passes. Will, why don't you kick us off? Who's your number one guard passer in jujitsu, and why? I was gonna say Tedede, <laughs> but I think I've kind of played that out on the last segment. No, absolutely so, not, man. It still applies. I'm gonna go with my new buddy, Hadolfo. Oh, Hadolfo Vieira. We had a good time in, in Ibiza, Hadolfo <laughs> and I. Um, but. Even Bouchesha was saying, so Hadalfo was showing some of his pressure passing, and Bouchesha was saying that Hadalfo has the hardest pressure of anyone he's ever felt. Wow. Yeah. Actually, there was, a guy, there was a guy in the camp who uh, rolled with Hadalfo, and the next day he came in with a bandage underneath of his chin <laughs> because Hadalfo's shoulder had worn the skin off underneath oh, his chin. Yeah. That sounds miserable. I got to feel a little bit of his as well. But, um, man, I think that guy just, his pressure passing, there's nobody who can, can compare it to Hidalfo. Well, I don't know. Actually, I have a, I have a, a, a riposte to that. Because <laughs> um, my, favorite, my favorite pressure passer, and it's funny that I'm choosing a pressure passer as well, because I'm not even a pressure passer guy. I'm not built for it, but it's something that I've been trying to work on in my game the last couple of years. And um, my favorite pressure passer is Murillo Santana. Mm. Now, Murillo is just incredible passer, right? And I'll be honest, I learned everything of his game from the BJJ Scout videos, right? Uh, yeah. Because Murillo doesn't like to put himself out there. And I've said it to him in the past, man. And, you know, Murillo is such a cool guy. And Murillo, if you're watching this, maybe he'll help he's change not. your mind. He's not watching. Nah, he hates, <laughs> he hates the internet, man. He's like, he's like, oh, no, I don't like it. But no, seriously, that guy, his game is incredible. And I really wish that he would put out some kind of material where he teaches his pressure passing system. But the guy, he's very camera shy, shall we say. He doesn't like putting himself out there. And even when I've asked him to in the past, like, hey, man, can you, you know, talk to us a little bit? He's like, no, 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 feature the boys, you know, give the yeah. attention to the athletes that he's producing instead, which is really nice. But you look at that BJJ Scout breakdown 
of his positioning, his kind of like the tripod, the way that he walks up the body, the way that he controls the legs and just demoralizes mm. people. Because again, Murillo's not a big dude. He's like 185, something like that. And um, everybody says that his pressure is just off the charts. He was more of like an over-under type of passer, right? Uh, that was his go-to? A little bit. Yeah, he does have that, but he also has some really nice leg weave stuff, uh, which is more what I like to do. Because I yeah. I got he, my leg is too long for, mm. yeah, for the under-over. But his, his, his leg weave stuff is incredible. And the way that, that the, a lot of his guys talk about him, the meows and, and another good passer, Leandro Lowe and, and um, Manuel Hibamar, the way all, all those guys, a lot of these legends... And Bushesha even too talks about uh, Murillo and stuff. So, man, yeah, I they like put that. him on a pedestal, right? Yeah, like, yeah. Is it, yeah. So, so for me, that's that. Murillo. That's mine. How about you? Yeah, yeah. I guess you guys both went um, kind of older school. A couple of older school guys. So I guess I'll, I'll I'm gonna take a newer school guy. I guess when when you said that, who's my favorite passer? And I, I thought up and I had to had to think with some passes that I've been I've been checking out lately, and I so I'm gonna have to say. Nicholas Marigali. Nicholas Marigali is my my favorite right now, man. Like, I mean, his guard as well, but but also, man, his passing is is uh, on another level as well too. I love the way that sometimes um, watching him pass, it's just like mesmerizing the way he just jumps from side to side and things like that. It's just like it's those moments where you watch him pass and you just have to be like. Oh, that was yeah. that was so nasty. That was so nasty. No, he's not a small guy, right? No. He's tall. I mean, what'd you say? He's the same size as you, by six three. yeah, he's probably around. I'd yeah. say six two and a half. He's <laughs> a little smaller than me, <laughs> but he's a he's a long frame, very similar to both of you actually, right? He's a longer framed guy, and um, the one thing that amazes me is that you know you give him that space. And he, he's on the outside, and he's just so good, right? It's like he doesn't let people tie him up in the guard, man. He, he, and he, he breaks and he passes at range. Yeah, right? He doesn't yeah. stop. Either, yeah, you know? he's like, so relentless. You think you're going to recover the guard, throwing the leg over, and he's already his lateral movement is just insane. One thing I really, really like that he does, and um, I even said, one of my friends, Christian from uh, Sweden, he's actually at the Royal Jiu-Jitsu camp right now. Oh. And uh, we were chatting away, and he's kind of like, man, are you guys coming? And I'm like, well... Chase got that pleasure, but um, he's saying he's super excited to learn from Marigali at the camp this week. And I was Definitely. like, okay, have to ask him about two things. Number one, ask him about his lasso guard, right? Mm. Of course, because his lasso is just incredible. Um, and I was saying, if you get a chance, ask him about what he does when people try to footlock him. Mm. Remember, we saw him doing this yeah. at Brasileiros. Mm-hmm. So guys will try and tie him up, right? Because they don't want him to have that space to pass. And they'll try and throw up like a 50-50. And what he does is he kicks his leg over to, like, the other side so that the guys have both their feet come on that way, but he's not in 50-50 anymore. He's, like, stood with his leg on the far hip, right? So it's almost like a footlock position. And you'd think, oh, man, he's going to get footlock from there. He just blasts through it. He doesn't try to take his leg out from the footlock. He doesn't, like, worry about the guy. He doesn't, like, go around to the back with his foot still in place or mm-hmm. anything. He just literally goes forward, and he drives through with just this incredible pressure. It's like a leg drag position? It is like a leg drag. They call it the unfair 50-50, but it's like a leg drag position, but instead of your leg in out, it's still stuck in between the guy's legs. So mm-hmm. sometimes they even have the, you know, the ankle wrapped up, oh, okay. and he just goes straight through it. And I, I, need to, I need to play it back and watch it a little bit more to figure out exactly what he's doing, but I've seen him do it a few times now, and I'm just like, 
holy shit, there's a lot going on there, you know? That's it. When the first time when you said Nicholas Mergal, it's the first thing I thought of, him passing 50-50. He mm. just shuts down 50-50 guards like nothing I've ever seen. It can't be that easy because oh, he no. makes it look way too easy, yeah, right? right? But especially, like, I don't like watching 50-50 battles. So yes. he's like the hero, you know? He's like, yeah, it gets, <laughs> it's right out of that 50-50. Yeah, um, I was going to say that the relentless pressure, like, is such a good thing. Like, it's such a good way to... to combat positions and stuff it, it can combat so many different things if you just have relentless yes. pressure yeah. <laughs> you know, you know it, and that's him it makes things go away it is man i gotta say there's so many different examples of guard passing to kind of pull from though i mean we both chose like two you know heavy pressure guys you know merigali with the toriander the but there's so many different ways to pass the guard and it's it's difficult to point uh, to one guy is an example of all of that, right? Jameel Hill, another underrated passer. I you think, think so? I think so. Yeah, how, yeah. so how so? Well, I, I'll be honest, I see he's more Jameel of, as a yeah, yeah, guard guy. More, right? more of a guard player, yeah. for sure, definitely. But um, he's another guy who, who um, is, is athletic and, and can jump over guys' guards and stuff like that, back and forth and stuff. So he doesn't, he doesn't do it a lot because he is more of a guard player and stuff. But when, I, when you see Jameel pass the guard, he's got some, some crazy passes. That's interesting. I don't know, would you say Andre Galvao? Kind of had that, you know, he had some flashy outside passes, but then also was a really good pressure guy. Well, yeah. I mean, when he was a little bit younger, you know, because Andre's been around a long time now, and, you know, the miles are kind of build him up on the clock. So, you know, if it's natural, people will change their game with age as, yeah. the, as the body changes. But, you know, back in the day, he was one of the best examples of those super dynamic, acrobatic kind of guard passes, mm. flipping over guards, that kind of stuff. Yeah. As, as were maybe some of the other guys from that generation, and Terra Ray was another good example, but even guys like Leo Vieira, yeah, you know, you damn. think about him, he would literally cartwheel over. He had that great thing where he would like, you know, basically double leg a guy from top. He'd wrap the legs up and then he'd flip into the bridge, yeah. you know. Um, so there, there was a... A lot of that kind of style, but you don't really see people doing that anymore, huh? Mm. Now you're seeing everyone do this this jumping guard pass. You know, when when the guy goes to pull guard, they jump right over the legs. Mm. This is like super. Herberth does yeah. it. Lucas Hulk does it all the time. And uh, this does is that kind of like um, what it was it was like anticipating the guard pull. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You. I feel like you really gotta like you gotta commit to it. You know, yeah. you gotta mm. sacrifice. It's it a hard. Up. It's a hard pass to do like off off of that guy gets grips and he's, and he's sitting guard but like yeah those guys like fling themselves usually like Herberth does I remember he he mounted Felipe Pena at World yes, Pro he did, yeah. with it yeah that caught Felipe by surprise and yeah. you know you don't expect a guy to just like get past the guard that quickly and that easily right. but the timing is going to be perfect yeah. on it right and yeah there's a bunch of guys we've seen doing it recently I remember Isaac Baianz is another mm, really yep. good one you mentioned Lucas Urberth hits it quite a lot. Um, Jeremy yeah. Canudo. Yeah, uh, that's Patrick right. He Gaudio. showed us actually mm -hmm. one of his kind of passes, and it's like, man, it's so acrobatic, you know, the way that they're going up and like literally head over heels. It's, it's amazing. How about the uh, Hanato Canuto guard pass at Kasai 1? Remember that one? Yeah. The no hands aerial pass. <laughs> that was a thing of beauty, man. That, that was, was incredible. Wild. I mean, Hanato is just so athletic, though, right? That guy. I, th I don't know. Does he, I think he has a capoeira background, right? Maybe he's like, you know, a lot of guys he's from got, Brazil. I think he's got a, a, a long jiu-jitsu background. He does, yeah. yeah. He's been doing jiu-jitsu forever. His dad's That's a black right, belt, right? Black belt. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But, uh, you know, yeah, I think a little bit of capoeira mixed in there. As is, man, this is a guy who I had no idea he was as athletic as he is. Lucas Lepre. 
That yeah. guy is oh, yeah, a phenomenal yeah. athlete. Like, yeah, definitely. There was a video clip of him doing capoeira, actually. He's kicking around. I think we even put it on Flow Grappling once when we were... We had an article up about um, kind of movement in jiu-jitsu because the whole movement culture... Well, we did a video with um, Cobrinha, his capoeira. His capoeira workout, right? And there's a bunch of them who are kind of known for being quite athletic. But I never realized until I saw a video of Lucas actually playing a little bit of capoeira in his gym... The guy's doing aerial cartwheels, mm. the guy's spinning on his head, one hand upside down. It's like, holy crap, no wonder your body control is so amazing when it comes yeah. to jiu-jitsu. And well, we just did a breakdown of his, his, final, his performance in the final against Hanato Canuto, another awesome passer. And Hanato was going for that like sacrifice kind of, uh, what do you call that? It's sumigaishi. Yeah, it's the judo thing. It's like, a hook, it's like a hook sweep from standing, right? Where you sit back and you throw the guy over. And he was literally, he did it twice to him. He yeah. put his hand down and cartwheeled over the pass both times. He's really good. At the I'm pretty sure he hit that on Gary Tonin at the, um, at the Kasai Pro. Um, that that sumigaishi. That really? He, he goes to that. I know when, when guys try to single leg him. So I know he's, he's definitely good at that. It's a go-to, but... Leper, yeah, like you said, he was able to counter it multiple times. Uh-huh. Exactly how to counter it. It was, it was really good. Incredible. He's 33, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Putting us masters to shame. Not bad. <laughs> Man, this is the thing. These masters nowadays, like uh, Masters World's coming up in August, right? That's right. Actually, yeah, like the, the level of the of the competitors at Masters Worlds is just Brian getting... Lepre, he beat, he beat um, Edwin in the finals. In 2016. 2016, Satoshi in 2017, Satoshi in 2017, mm. and Hanuto. He's just constantly battling back these young, new upcomers. Right. Right? He fought Young Pika Pau. He fought Espin. You know, all these young, hungry black belts. He constantly keeps beating them back. That's yeah, Lepre's a machine. <laughs> pound for pound, he's got to be up there as one of the best, right? Because oh, the guys absolutely. are lightweight as well, you know? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The lightweights don't get as much love as, as some of the, the heavier weights, the absolute champions and stuff like that, but, but definitely Lepre. He's one and of he's a guy players. who's got the complete game. He's also yeah. got a guard as well. I know we're yeah. talking about passing, but he is one and of those he's guys. Rest- and he's a good wrestler, too. He's known like, you know, Andre Galval might be known more for his passing, mm-hmm. right? But Lucas Lepre does it all. There's a good point about his wrestling. We saw at ADCC his match with JT. Basically, it was a wrestling match, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, JT's got the pedigree. You know, he actually wrestled, right? And then, you know, th- that was like a straight-up wrestling match that JT managed to get his back. And, you know, he close match. Freaking yeah. worked for it as well, mm-hmm. huh? And incredible that, you know, Lucas can, can get to that higher level. Just an all-round freak athlete. Yeah. Monster. Anyway, enough, uh, enough about that. <laughs> so, um... Man, it's like uh, it's getting to that time again when it's uh, it's time to move on a little bit. But um, what do you think? Sweep or submit? Should we do another one? Let's do it. Let's do it. Nice. Sweep okay. them or let's submit them, <laughs> as they say. Just to uh, recap what sweep and submit is. Sweep and submit is uh, when we throw a couple of uh, just general jujitsu things out there and we either sweep, meaning get it out of here, or we submit, going, yes, we support. So... We talked a lot about Nogi earlier with uh, guys like Marcel, guys like Eddie Bravo, guys like Danaher and stuff. Why not talk about Nogi things in jiu-jitsu, okay? Number one, Nogi things. <laughs> Sweep or submit, rash guards. Under your gi, over, you know, instead of a gi, training Nogi, what do you prefer, cotton? Uh, Sweep or submit, rash guards. Rash guards, uh... Submit when it's no gi. I think it, I think rash guards can be awesome. You can get some really cool designs on there. You know, if, I've seen some awesome rash guards. But under the gi, sweep. I hate wearing a rash guard under the gi. Huh. Yeah, yeah. I hate wearing a rash guard 
In general, actually. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to sweep that out. the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I got ADCC rules. No shit. That's how, that's how Just I get down. Glistening upper body tilt. Yeah, okay. Danaher would be losing it right now if you heard that. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, hmm. I'm going to have to submit on rash guards. I'm a rash guard fan. I do like to weigh them under the gi. Like, uh, you know. And I definitely think if you're going to train no gi, you don't want a baggy cotton t-shirt when you're training no gi, so it's oh, got to no. be a rash guard. However, I'm not a fan of the crazy ones. Sweep those out yeah. of here. I don't like those crazy flames. Unicorns. Like drag- yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> no. Flying unicorns. Sweep those right out of here. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Jiu-jitsu fashion, or a little bit, I'm going I'm to su- submit that, this, or sweep that <laughs> okay. kind of all together. So. Well, that, you've, you kind of anticipated my next oh, one, because sorry. spats, sweep or submit. Yeah, sweep. Ne- you never catch me in a pair of spats, no matter what. <laughs> sweep. Yeah, sweep. I don't know. Some guys spats. can pull them off, you know. Definitely, if you're going to wear spats, please wear the shorts over the spats. <laughs> we got too many guys out there just wearing, calling them spats, spats, but they're tight. What, what are spats actually like for? Why, why do people wear spats? Let's be honest. They're yoga pants, right? <laughs> like, like yoga help, pants for dudes, man. They help you with triangles, or they help you uh-uh. with... Uh-uh. Like, why do people... I think they give you just a little bit more friction. Right, but there also there's this idea that the compression helps with like circulation too, so that can help with is it sweat recovery. Thing? Does it help maybe like maybe it's like anti ringworm or something. I don't know. That like, too. Yeah, yeah, you do have yeah, that extra hygienic extra layer. Or but then then you're just like wearing a, a sleeve of sweat basically, right? <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I'm not sure how that's gonna be. Better. I'm sweeping spats out of here as well. Number one. I don't like seeing your junk, you know, and it's t- spats, they are not the most flattering. They, they show everything. And to be honest, not that many people can pull them off. Right. The majority of people who wear them shouldn't be. Right. <laughs> and you know, even worse than spats is the rash guard and spats combo. Do you guys realize you look like a gimp? Yeah. <laughs> that all-in-one spats and rash guard body condom that you've got on, uh-huh. it's like... Dude, really? Like, outer layers, come on. Like, How about the Mendes brothers wearing the spats underneath the gi pants? Yeah. They're that, always doing that. No, right? Underneath the gi pants? Underneath the gi pants, yeah. I know all some guys the time. who do that, too. I don't, I don't get that. Yeah, there's got to be a performance. Underneath the yeah, underneath the shorts, I get that. But underneath yeah. the... Yeah. Underneath there's got to be a performance. Maybe, maybe these guys know something yeah, we don't. Yeah, I, I maybe I don't understand it. Maybe some of these guys... We need help. Educate, educate us. Me. Send us some spats. We'll try them out. <laughs> <laughs> Um, okay, uh, no-gi things. The leg lock game, right? It's not really so common in, in gi jiu-jitsu, right? But the leg lock game is very much a no-gi thing. Sweep submit. Man, this one's really tough. And I really, like, I just started getting into the leg lock game and studying it more so, and it's really super interesting. And, you know, the things that Danaher is doing and Craig Jones you know, have, have both their DVDs, and I think it's really, really interesting. But from a, a viewing view uh, standpoint, I, I hate watching it. I wow. Hate, yeah, I don't like watching it, especially when both guys go immediately to the, you know, like the double guard pull and just start doing the leg attack game. That's kind of boring to me. So I am going to sweep. Hmm. Very interesting. Reed. I like it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna submit. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it. I, I like the, the leg game. Um, you know, sometimes, it, sometimes it can get boring, just like any other, any other match, I think. But um, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll take the, the a tap to tap. It is indeed. Um, I am going to... Mm, it's a tough one, man. I'm torn when it comes it's to leg fighting. I'm really, yeah, really yeah. torn. I think I'm going to submit it for Nogi because, you know, it is huge. But I'm definitely going to sweep it um, out We're of... We're talking about Nogi kind of. We are, but I'm, I'm going to sweep it out of 
kind of general spectator stuff. Mm. Because, yeah, I agree. Like, as a grappler, I don't mind playing the leg lock game, but I'm going to sweep out those guys so that's all they do. Like we were saying earlier, yeah. like the guys who ignore exactly. 50% of the human body, and they're all about the legs. And come on, man, it's more just jujitsu yeah, than well, just that. I was, like, was going to mention that, yeah, yeah, you were saying who's our favorite guard passers. Um, but I feel like to a certain extent, you don't see a lot of, uh, as much guard passing anymore these days. Maybe it's yeah, yeah. because of, uh, of the, there's a lot of submissions that are maybe a little easier to get. Mm-hmm. You don't have to pass a guard. You can sit back for a footlock and stuff like that. So there definitely has been some, some detrimental um, to, to guard passing. Can't argue but, with that. But, yeah, then, but then when, when Gordon Ryan tapped a cyborg at ADCC, that was just like a thing of beauty to me. Oh yeah, that was a guy it's who clinical. was just yeah. yeah. He knew exactly what he was doing. He had him in the game over position, right where he couldn't do anything. He was it was yep. checkmate. You're mm-hmm. done, yeah. right? And that was just a thing of beauty. You know? Yeah. And watching that like that progression step by step w- w- really was impressive. But, mm-hmm. you know, but yeah, you unfortunately, watch, not every match is like that. You right? watch a lot of <laughs> mediocre. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, submission only. That's a no gi thing. Very much no gi thing. You don't really see it in the gi, right? It would go on for 24 hours if it was in the gi, right? Submission mm-hmm. only rules, like no time limit. Submission only, sweep or submit. I, I like, I love submission only. To be honest, man, I, I like it. I'm gonna take it. It, it. it reminds me of like some old school Jean Claude Van Damme movies. <laughs> to the death. Yeah, it reminds <laughs> me of like The Quest or something like that, where two guys go in and, and one guy leaves. It's uh, it, it harkens to the uh, to the Jean Claude Van Damme fan in me, I guess. <laughs> All right. <laughs> JCVD. I am going to sweep. Yeah, I, I would. I think it actually it prevents guys from play, like trying to get to an advantageous position, you know. And I think a lot of times when you're playing with the points game, you are more you're you're playing smarter, right? You're less likely to open yourself up to to certain things. Um, and I think it's just more exciting. Like I, I think an advantageous when you get to an advantageous position in jujitsu, it should be worth something. Right, and I don't think we see all that many submissions on submission only. And if you're down on points, you you have to hustle to to get points. You have to hustle to, to pass the guard or put yourself in a bad position. Uh-huh. That's true. Op- it opens things up a lot, lot right. more. For sure. You know, submission only, especially if there's overtime rounds, you can just ride it out, right? Right. Which is why I'm no, also. Which is why I'm talking about true submission. <laughs> true only. submission true only. Submission only. To the death. Four hour <laughs> matches at least. <laughs> I, I'm also sweeping Submission Only out. Um, I mean, I don't dislike it, and we've seen some amazing matches, and I think when the matches are kind of definitely shorter, like fight-to-win matches, for example, there is an incentive to go out there and to get the job done and to, you know, not, like, just get a judge's decision. It's really fighting to win, you mm-hmm. know? I like that. Um, that no-time-limit Submission Only... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to fall asleep watching that, man. You know, I, I, I like points as well. I think that they hustle people along. I think it's great, whether it's IBJJF, whether it's ADCC, whether it's UWW, whatever it is. Points, uh, points are also good. But, you know, the, 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 that kind of like old-fashioned submission only where you just lock two guys in a room and, and you know, until one guy gives up. Uh... It, it feels like we dipped our toe in with... Gordon Ryan versus Keenan Cornelius in, in submission no, no time limit submission only and everybody was like N- no more that no more <laughs> ever that. again yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But. I mean the crazy thing is actually they run tournaments like that as well right there, there are some people out there they run submission only tournaments like um, I think it was Gracie Nationals was one in I LA think right learned, they learned their lesson well <laughs> what they actually claim probably. is that those matches don't go that long 
Because, yeah, that's what I think. Yeah, you know, at the yeah. highest level with guys like Gordon and Keenan, yeah, it's going to take an hour before they'll give anything up. But when it's like blue belts or purple belts and stuff, guys will go for like six, seven minutes, and then they'll either be done, and they'll just kind of like, like, oh, get me out of here. Yeah. Or they just, you know, they're more open, and the opportunities to finish are actually there. So I, I think there's more experimentation to be done with with submission on exactly. Uh, we're still evolving. Yeah. There's definitely problems with points jujitsu, right? Oh That's yeah, certainly not 100%. perfect. So we're still evolving, but I think it's we're in a great time because yeah. everyone's trying to outdo each other. What system is better? And it's, uh, I think it's benefiting jujitsu overall. Well, guys, another great, yeah. great podcast right there. <laughs> I gotta say, a lot of fun this year, uh, this uh, this week. Man, we went through some, uh, we went through some pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Huh? It's uh, a lot one. to talk about, even though there's not a lot of events, but. Speaking of events, we do have a bunch coming up very soon. Uh, Fight to Wins almost every weekend. We got the uh, UAE JJF Abu Dhabi Grand Slam in Tokyo, Japan on July 29th. Will and I are going to Tokyo to cover that one. Very excited for that. The, the names have started to uh, appear on the list of signups, and it's looking, it's looking pretty good, huh? Oh, yeah. We've got some good names on that. Yeah. Hudson Mateus, Kainan Duarte, Bianca Basilio, Nacieli Jesus, Gabriela Pasana, who just recently got a brown belt. Uh, after winning the double Grand Slam as a purple belt, is in for the Tokyo Grand Slam. And she's fighting in the combined brown and black belt division. Now, that's a big jump oh, wow. up mm. because she's in the same division as Nacieli, who's a two-time black belt world Whoa. champion. Wow. There we go. 18-year-old brown belt against a two-time black belt world champion. Love to see it. Yeah, that's going to be awesome. So DJ, it's, it's DJ Jackson, uh, Paula Miao as well. Wow. Yeah. Non-stop. So <laughs> there you go. You're going to have uh, a ton of guys. And, of course, this is the start of... The 2018-2019 UAE JJF season, the first in the Grand Slam Tour, heading up uh, in Tokyo. So that's going to be a lot of fun. And, um, yeah, just tons of jujitsu on flowgrappling.com. You know where to check it out. See you again.